Hey, common scientists, we are coming to you this week on the topic of homeostasis. So we'll get into the science of homeostasis a bit and a little bit about how it might apply to our lives. Uh, and for example, coming into this cast, wasn't feeling so good, but I'm hoping as the conversation goes on in a topic I'm super excited about, we'll be able to maintain some homeostasis in our flow on the, on the cast and also for me, myself personally. So to get into what that means and how it might apply to your life, I think we'll start out with the etymology of the word. That's just a fancy way of like, what did the pieces of that word mean? And for the word homeostasis, you can separate it into two chunks, first homeo and then stasis. And homeo uh, comes from the Greek word for same and then stasis for study. So when we talk about homeostasis and throughout the duration of this cast, hopefully we come back to this idea of sameness and steadiness. I kind of think of it as peace, also a homeostasis of the mind um, and also of the body. So I'll kick it to Aiden to start off with just a little bit more history. Just uh, one thing before that is, is stasis. It also, I think it does, does it also mean like state, like same state? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think that that's also part of it that will become apparent as I, as I start with a quote from the Greek physician slash philosopher uh, and I have no idea how, how to pronounce this name, Alcmaeon. It's, it's spelled A-L-C-M-A-E-O-N, however you pronounce that, of Croton, around uh, 500 BC. And he talked about a balance of opposites to explain health and disease. And he actually used a political analogy to define health and, and disease in his quote that says, Health is the equality of rights of the functions, wet, dry, cold, hot, bittersweet, and the rest. But si single rule of either pair is deleterious. Uh, so to me, that is just eye-opening to, to hear something from 500 BC that is starting to hint at this idea of balance and uh, these opposites needing to be balanced. Uh, and then Hippocrates, uh, who the Hippocratic Oath is named after, uh, he proposed that health was the product of the balance and mixture of four bodily fluids or humors, blood, phlegm, yellow bile, and black bile. And that, again, just echoes this, uh, this concept of balance that humans have been kicking around for, for ages now. Uh, yeah. So that's just a little bit of a, a tad on the Greeks. And then, um, we can really start to see the concept of homeostasis coming around, uh, later on in the 1800s, uh, cloud Bernard, and then Walter Cannon are the first, uh, scientists who, um, who started to notice this phenomena within the internal environment, so within the body. Uh, so Claude Bernard noticed that this steady state uh, within the body, and then Walter Cannon, who came after him in 1870 or so, actually coined the word, word homeostasis. Uh, so that's just a tad of uh, history there. Um, but yeah, homeostasis. 
Yeah, fascinating. So all the way back to Greek philosophers' understanding a balance of like hot and cold. Would you call him a philosopher, a scientist? They were all philosophers at the time. Mm -hmm. So talking about this balance of like hot versus cold, what else did he say? I don't, I don't recall all of the pieces uh, of dry that. and wet. Mm, yeah, dry uh, and wet. Yeah, and then he does go on to say that if one were to dominate, mm -hmm. uh, that would be damaging. Right, right. So already talking about balance. Uh, and then from there, we kind of jumped into the Hippocratic Oath. And I think for some context for our listeners, the Hippocratic Oath is a uh, oath of ethics that historically physicians have taken to promise to do no harm. Uh, so just a little added context there. And then we finished with hearing about some important scientists who coined the term and understood that it might play more of a role in bodily function. Fascinating. Yeah. Just a, just a tidbit. Why did you, uh, why did you choose the topic, Lauren? Why did I choose the topic of homeostasis? Well, I think for a couple of reasons. I would argue that it's one of the most foundational biological concepts that exists. And I would also argue that it's probably one of the most applicable to any person's life. So mm. I think finding balance is something you'll hear about a lot, but I don't always think people practice finding balance very scientifically. And I think there are also a lot of people who might advocate for balance and even people who study it who don't um, model it very well, including myself sometimes. So I think it's just a fascinating topic that deserves a little bit more credit, a little more merit. And I think if we all understood homeostasis better, uh, we might be able to live more meaningful, valuable, balanced lives. So yeah, I guess that's why I, why I chose it. Awesome, awesome. One thing that's fascinating to me about homeostasis is I think that a lot of times when we talk about things like balance or any sort of goal that we're trying to achieve, happiness, anything of that sort, I think a lot of us picture it or imagine it as being something stable. But with something like homeostasis, even though the words are like steady, stable, state, things that you kind of want to stay the same, really it's like a constant or it's like a dynamic consistency, right? Yeah. Because it's so it's so affected by your environment, but your body, every your cells, every little whatever little thing inside of you, mitochondria, all that stuff, all these systems, they can't really worry too much about what their environment is doing because they can't control it. So all they do mm -hmm. is sense it, right? And they have all these effectors and sensors and all this that react, that read and react, and then they just try to control their inner state. Mm -hmm. And I think like you're saying, I think that's like, if you want to extrapolate that, which I'm not, not necessarily making to right now, but that's like one of the most, the best extrapolations, the best mentalities to have, because I know for a lot of my life, I definitely thought like, oh, like once I get here, it's going to be like this, or like, I need to try to be like this at all times. But it's like, no, life is life. Things are going to happen. There's going to be fluctuations always. You need to help control the controllables mm -hmm. um, the best you can. And then not get too high not get too low when things you know when you start feeling one way feeling anxiety or you're feeling thirsty you're feeling fatigue or whatever because just like your inner workings they're all being like okay this is shooting up now we're gonna do this feedback loop to shut that down or we're gonna yeah. keep that going until this certain point to get a certain reaction and then it'll naturally 
parasympathetic nervous system or whatever it might be will naturally just have that come back to the um the homeostasis i suppose yeah i love i love the analogy and i think it points to some biology too that i'll touch on in a moment but i just want to affirm i think you're so right our bodies all the way down to biological level and i'll touch on that in a moment um but also our emotional state it is about being in a place that you can respond to your environment positively like you said you aren't always going to have consistency and that's not even the point always and in our bodies we see that they are geared toward creating a environment where where a cell or a piece or an organ system can respond most easily to the environment to adapt to maintain like you mm -hmm. said this balance this homeostasis that isn't actually always steady there's constant fluctuation mm -hmm. around some some line or some range right and i heard somebody say that there's no such thing as a flat line because of course if there's a flat line you're dead yeah so there's gonna be all these spikes and troughs yeah. and all that type of stuff oh for sure so i'm gonna take it a little little biological so there's something called an action potential that i'm going to talk about briefly and it's something that happens in your brain. So every time that communication needs to happen between your brain and other parts of your body, uh, a signal has to be sent, right, from your brain to other areas of your body. And to determine whether a signal is sent, there's actually a number that dictates whether or not that signal was important enough to be sent. So for example, if you're walking down the street and it's warm outside and you're talking to your friend or something like that, you'll have all sorts of signals around you, right? It's light outside, it's warm, you're in conversation, but there's a whole bunch of information that you might be surrounded by in your periphery that's not actually processed. And so when specifically in senses, in this scenario that I'm explaining, when a signal needs to be sent, it has to really reach like a specific threshold. So in an action potential graph, you'll see like a spike and then it'll come down into kind of a bit of a, like a low point and then come up and come back to be steady. It looks kind of like a backwards Nike swoosh, uh, if you use your imagination a little bit. <laughs> but your maintenance is actually at negative 70 millivolts. So bear with me if you're trying, if you're checking out a little because you were like, oh, biology, that topic sucks or whatever you're thinking, just hang out here for a second, be in discomfort with me because negative 70 millivolts, you wouldn't think that that's normal, right? Like right. negative 70, what kind of number is that? Like, <laughs> right. You wouldn't think that you have all these neurons hanging out at negative 70, all these cells. However, being at negative 70, allows for any influx of positive ions and positive numbers um, to allow that cell to be super reactive, right? So anytime it has positive influx, uh, it can consider then, hmm, should I react to this? Hmm, should I react to this? And actually it has to be raised up to negative 55 millivolts for there to be a reaction. So it's just one example of the body deciding intuitively when to respond and when not to respond to maintain some level of homeostasis in a way that is prepared for response, right? Like we hang out at negative 70 so that we can react to something, not necessarily to maintain a flat line. Like you said, flat line means 
probably that you're dead. So I thought that was fascinating. I don't know that I did it justice, but really phenomenal that what we can see in ourselves is also mimicked all the way down to a cellular level to our neurons in our brain, like responding to senses, which I think mm -hmm. is so fascinating. Yeah, I think it is uh, super cool. And I think just to echo a lot of what you're saying about the hanging out at the negative 70 millivolts, that's what would we could conceive as like homeostasis, right? Where the body is trying to maintain this range at which the neurons are resting. Uh, and as Lauren also mentioned, that's where they are more able to be activated. Uh, and I believe Lauren, so uh, homeostasis tends to surround or tends to involve feedback loops and there tend to be, and in those feedback loops, as Dre also dropped earlier, there's like sensors and effectors, uh, and these sensors will take up a signal and then tell the effector to do something about it. And to maintain that negative, uh, that negative millivolts, the negative 70 millivolts at resting, uh, I think, aren't there like different pumps in the cell that try to pump out the positive ions when it's resting? Yeah, yeah. So, well, we're really getting into some, really, we're really getting into <laughs> some digging biology, a digging a little deeper. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, if you look at this on a graph, if you think again about that, like backwards Nike swoosh, if you will, or like a spike, it almost looks like a heart. A heart rate spike which people I think are probably most familiar it spikes up and then it spikes back down um, and the spike up is called depolarization and that word is not so important all that you need to think of is that it's getting more positive right so we were at negative 70 we hit that threshold of negative 55 your brain was like whoa we got to send something to the body and then it did. And so it depolarized, it got more and more and more positive. And then at some point, the signal has been sent, right? And that cell's overwhelmed with positive. And then the, the cell has to use channels and some pumps to maintain homeostasis. So now it's gotten so, so positive and we need to come back to negative 70. So you're so right. And I don't, and I don't know that getting into the technicality yeah. of, of the pumps and things, um, make sense for this cast but just so that you know common scientists your body is amazing it's super intuitive and next time someone asks you like hey how are you doing maybe you can respond and be like oh i'm doing great hanging out negative 70 millivolts doing fine <laughs> maintaining homeostasis um but yeah that's the reality of what happens as your body is trying to communicate as aiden said from a uh like effector to like a response so. so I think it's like, so there's a receptor or a sensor mm -hmm. and then that tells another an component to mm -hmm. an effector to create an effect. Yeah. So that's like brain to body. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, another, so in the, in the, with feedback loops in particular, uh, so there's positive feedback loops, uh, which can create an intensification. So I'm sure there are some positive feedback loops in the depolarization, right? 
Um, and so like when I say intensification and this positive feedback loop, it's like you have the sensor telling the effector to do something. That effector is then providing a signal to the receptor and it's this cyclical fashion that intensifies, increases a response. There's also negative feedback loops, which are just the opposite where the effector will also tell the receptor then to decrease the response. Um, and I'm totally going to pull this from my not research from my brain, but it could be wrong. Um, but most of the body behaves via negative feedback loops. So it doesn't make sense to intensify, right? Like your body's not like, oh, I'm hungry. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, I'm starving. <laughs> like that's not how it works. Like it will intensify some, right? But there's a point where you eat and then you feel you feel better or, you know, something like that. So most of that is negative feedback loops. Positive feedback loops are much, much less common. The best example of positive feedback loop is pregnancy. So your body's like, okay, I got to do something. And then that something builds on that something. Mm -hmm. And then pretty soon you're nine months pregnant, right? Like it's probably one of the most, um, yeah, the most prominent examples of positive feedback loop. But it's so rare in science that, uh, we were taught in intro level biology at a collegiate level, so biology can go way, way, way deeper than that, that there really were three, only like two or three main positive feedback loops that were necessary for us to know at that level, hmm. pregnancy yeah. being one of them. I think, I mean, there would also be positive feedback loops like and negative feedback loops in certain processes. It's like you're, you're getting hungry, you get more hungry, right? Um, so there's some process going on behind that and intensifying that and then you eat and then that starts to tamp things down yeah but, but that's a great yeah. example of homeostasis too yeah. Dre, where do you see homeostasis most like act in your life where are you most aware of this pull and t give and take pull in something else <laughs> pull and push and <laughs> push and pull mm. um of homeostasis okay so i think if I'm just gonna go off the top of my head, it would have to be more of like a analogous version of it, like a more psychological or social version of it. But I remember having a conversation with a friend uh, years ago, and she was telling me that like every time, and I think a lot of us experience this, where there's somebody in your life that you are always on the threshold of like snapping or like feeling some type of way, usually a negative emotion, but it's positive as well. Um, that happens as well where there's a friend that you just, as soon as they say something, you're just happy. As soon as they, whatever, say hi, whatever. I have friends like that. But in general, I think we're really, we really kind of um, focus on some of the, those negative feelings where someone can breathe around you, cough around you, just say, hey, how'd your day go? And you're just like, you just hear something in their voice and you just kind of get that tension, whether that's like a parent, a sibling a friend that's like in your friend group but you're not really that good of friends anymore or like yeah. your old roommate anything like that i've had these type of relationships with a couple different people and i remember talking with this friend and she was like yeah whenever i speak with this guy i just know i'm all my threshold is always like it's kind of like those millivolts it's like i'm not at negative 70 i'm at like 56 so it only takes one little millivolt to like push me over to the action potential or whatever it might be and i guess like that's kind of how i see it um, there's certain things in my life and I used to be way less Zen. 
not that I know what that term actually means, but just the pop culture version of it, <laughs> the Western pop culture version of it. I used to be way less zen, and I used to kind of, I, I used to be really rigid and, and flexible, mm -hmm. and if things didn't really go my way, I just had like a really type A personality, and I was just kind of on that threshold. If things were going kind of the way I thought they would go, or the way, like, even if I was kind of practicing some stoicism and like foreseeing bad things happen, I'd be okay. Mm -hmm. But if I did not foresee these things happen, if I did not foresee a conversation going a certain way, a hangout going a certain way, if they're like if really sensitive to disappointment, I always felt like my threshold was always just right there for things like that. And I had to learn through like stoicism, like thinking through things, hey, what's yeah. the worst that could happen? Is that really that big of a deal or not? Understanding that, oh, that person is their own main character. They have their own life. If they're changing plans or doing this or doing that it's something that's about them it's not like some personal attack on me those things happen it's all good and then that kind of helped me control my own um i guess inner workings so that when the environmental factors came about um those i had that little spike but it didn't hit my action potential and i didn't mm -hmm. like ruin my day or have a meltdown or freak out or feel negative feelings towards that person wow i love the analogy and i think it's super wise uh, and I resonate a lot with it too. There are for sure people in my life that I just need to like tell myself, like you said, kind of go through it, mm -hmm. remind myself, like I'm okay. I am capable of maintaining 70, negative 70 millivolts. I am capable of maintaining my cool. Like, but yeah, I, I completely resonate with that. Yeah, I think, I mean, I just, I, had a similar experience to you where uh, it just it definitely required learning uh to create some of those uh those receptors in my in my own psyche that tell me oh i'm i'm like getting close i should start to tamp that down by mm -hmm. doing something else uh like i'm getting close to that threshold so i should start to enact an, an effector that might be going for a long walk in, in, in nature or, uh, yeah, just trying to find something that might call me, whether it be listening to music or, uh, yeah, trying or, or focusing more on my surroundings. That's something that I sometimes struggled, struggle with today, but even more so in the past is getting kind of in my, in my head and then needing to focus on my surroundings and the colors around me and things of that nature uh yeah so it's just it's it's a i think just part of the human condition and balance is important i have a i have one quote on that as well uh so it's funny that you say zen whatever that means by the 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 western version of it right mm -hmm. um i barely know anything about buddhism um but here's a quote from uh sagyal rinpoche and i apologize for <laughs> just <Nailed> completely <laughs> butchering that uh we will we will link them in the show notes but uh the quote is our task is to strike a balance to find the middle way to learn not to overextend ourselves with extraneous activities and preoccupate preoccupations but to simplify our lives more and more, the key to finding a happy balance in modern life is simplicity. And I mean, yeah, it just hammers home 
that that idea of the individual needing to find balance in Lauren your your conversation too as far as why you chose this this topic yeah I have to laugh a little at you Aiden though because you resonate with this idea of minimalism and simplicity and like he's going into a PhD in biostatistics and is interested in like multi-layered complex systems so I just have to chuckle a little because I think you're so right in in life it's good to find some simplicity, some balance. Mm -hmm. But I don't think that that means that you shouldn't dig into some common science. You do not need to dig into multi-leveled complex system analysis or whatever Aiden is interested in. But like, I think, yeah, it just struck me as totally ironic. Uh, (laughs) The other thing that I want to say because both of you guys just made yourself sound like zen masters (laughs) Uh, is that i don't have it figured out at all and i am prone to becoming super irritable and unfortunately for aiden it manifests mostly in my relationship because that's the person that i i'm around the most Mm -hmm. and um like the number one reason i become irritable is because my life is out of balance in some other way. And then that irritability, yeah, primarily would manifest in whatever relationships are closest of me or to me. And I, I've certainly gotten better at recognizing those moments, but I still have a long ways to go. I mean, uh, a while back in the process of moving and getting to the Twin Cities and Aiden's writing his PhD and things, um, man, it was a challenging time. And during that time, I struggled in a lot of different ways, a lot of change, a lot of uh, trying to find and maintain my homeostasis, figuring out what in the world balance looks like in a totally new environment. And uh, that imbalance and maybe fear in some ways absolutely manifested as irritability and yeah, I do not have it figured out. I could take a page from all the Zen masters and Buddhists and whoever else can help me learn because I have a lot to learn in that area. But like you both said too, like as you practice recognizing it, you can also practice addressing, getting back to a state of who you want to be and who you want to maintain. Because I don't want to be someone who gets irritable, but it's just the truth. Yeah, and... I mean, I, I in no way have everything figured out, um, but yeah, I mean, it's just, it's true. You just got to practice in a lot of ways. Uh, yeah, I think, so one uh, kind of just like extrapolation of homeostasis as well, or the lack thereof is so in the book Outliers, he talks about uh, the Matthew Principle Uh, which he kind of coins and in the book and I can't recall the exact quote but it's from the Bible and the essence of it is that to those who have all that will be given and to those who do not all all shall be taken away Um, and it's like this so it's so the it's when feedback loops he, he talks about how uh, in performance, 
athletes who get more opportunity growing up, for example, uh, who are born closer to the start date, thus are larger, thus get more attention from the coaches. They have these positive feedback loops that uh, create stars, right? Or like star hockey players or, or in the book is his example. Um, but it's just like also to be aware, I mean, I'm thinking about Lauren bringing up the complex systems thing uh, and, and my interest in them is that these I see these feedback loops in all sorts of places and they can lead to homeostasis or they can lead for things to go or lead toward things going awry. Uh, like, I mean, we look at like wealth inequality today as another example of that, but you can see these, these feedback loops all the way down to the, the neuron all the way up to society at large, which is pretty darn cool. The Matthew principle. That's a good one to remember. Um, the rich get richer, the poor get poor. Yeah. The essential, essentially the, uh, yeah, the idea of it, uh, yet it's fascinating. So even going back to that first, um, the first Greek philosopher, physician before that I mentioned before Hippocrates that I butchered, whose name I butchered (laughs) as well. Uh, I mean, he just talks too about how when extremes exist that's when things are harmful but so i mean i think it would just hint at the importance of of equality and trying to trying to strive towards that as far as creating a healthy society but um yeah lauren i see you're you're pulling up uh something would you like to to mention your your train of thought that's going on sure (laughs) (laughs) to completely call you out (laughs) sorry it just caught my eye right while i was talking that's the the Uh, challenge of computer screens but controlling my own frustration in this moment live on youtube okay yeah (laughs) um so when you mentioned homeostasis of societies and this structural level I didn't think it was quite appropriate to jump from neurons to society, but here we are. Uh, There are some lyrics to a song that I think describe some of this tension. So, so far we talked about homeostasis of the body, the self, the neuron, uh, and we're starting to extrapolate into uh, this balance within society. And I think that these lyrics do a good job at describing some of these tensions because I don't believe that the most homeostatic society is one where the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. There's a reason why the body works primarily in negative feedback loops, not positive feedback loops. So I strongly disagree with um, some of those contentions. Mm-hmm. And hopefully we get a chance to circle back to that. But um, I'd love to hear you guys' feedback on, on this these these lyrics so the song is by casting crowns they're a christian artist uh, that i grew up listening to and this song is called city on the hill and i'll just read some of the lyrics here did you hear of the city on the hill said one old man to the other 
It once shined bright, and it would be shining still, but they all started turning on each other. You see, the poets thought the dancers were shallow, and the soldiers thought the poets were weak, and the elders saw the young ones as foolish, and the rich man never heard the poor man speak. But one by one, they ran away, with their made-up minds to leave it all behind, and the lights began to fade in the city on the hill. Each one thought that they knew better, but they were different by design. Instead of standing strong together, they let their differences divide. But it was the rhythm of the dancers that gave the poets life. It was the spirit of the poets that gave the soldiers strength to fight. And it was the fire of the young ones. It was the wisdom of the old. It was the story of the poor man that needed to be told. So those are the lyrics. I'd love to hear your guys' thoughts, but it's it's been a song that's been on my heart uh, a lot recently and in moving to Minneapolis, Minnesota, which is a very divided community in some ways, I feel. And yeah, it's, it's just been this tension in my heart of like the homeostasis of this city, the balance of this city. Aiden? <laughs> takeaways <laughs> uh man yeah i mean i think that that song puts it well in that all of these roles in society are incredibly valuable and it is a, a dance a give and take between all of the different roles uh, in order to create a homeostatic community, like one that uh, one that can be sustainable and long lasting, uh, as opposed to one that where they all go home or or however it's exactly phrased in there. But um, yeah, one line that stuck out to me was uh, it was the rich man not hearing the poor man speak, and um, but yeah, I think that. I mean, yeah, it's just, it, it is super true that to, to have these incredibly interconnected and interwoven communities work, we need to give and take and, and ultimately respect uh, the different roles because, yeah, they, they do serve, um, or most of them do, uh, the, the, what's his name? Lindahl, the if you live in the Twin Cities area, there's a, a real estate mogul who mm, who gosh. has these <laughs> these billboards everywhere, and it's arguable whether or not he, he serves a purpose. He serves, Everyone serves else a purpose. Serves a purpose <laughs> but Chris Lindahl does not. I'm just yeah, I'm joking. just joshing, but yeah, um, yeah. So I, I mean, I just think that that's a an apt song to bring up lauren yeah i was talking speaking of chris lindahl i'm gonna stay on that topic for a second <laughs> i was teaching um, my campers about like free will advertisement mm -hmm. um psychological priming stuff like that and i was trying to get them to talk about fast food and how mm -hmm. that um that influence that can influence your hunger and how we talked about and in the comfort crisis, how 80% of eating is not actually in reaction to hunger, but other things such as boredom or outside stimuli that sure. are impacting right. you. 
And I was trying to get them to be like, oh, yeah, like, like what do you see on the highways with the billboards? And be like, oh, like McDonald's and stuff like that. And then one of them was like, Chris Lindahl. And I was like, <laughs> wow. Okay. Um, oh, Chris Lindahl, uh, that, you are doing a fantastic job. However, I don't know if I can <laughs> support this any longer if my 12-year-old kids are <laughs> promoting Chris Lindahl. Sell a house, right? I'm going to Chris Lindahl. Man, dude must be doing doing pretty well, though. But that's <laughs> awesome. Um, yeah, Chris Lindahl. Jeez. Um, no free press, though. Yeah. Uh, so, wait, wait. Now, now I have to say, in no way an endorsement. I've, I've been listening to Brené Brown recently. Yeah. Dear lead, she's a, a phenomenal writer, leader, etc. And uh, she she recently challenged me in this book to consider that everyone, like in life, is just doing their best. And like, what perspective would you mm. have to take of them if you really earnestly? ask yourself or, or have yourself believe that they're just doing your best, their mm -hmm. best. Oh, and now, yeah, I have, I have to respect Chris Lindell a lot more because he is really good at what he does. Yeah. He's, he's doing his best. His best is better than all of our best. No, no free press. <laughs> no free press. No, that's a good idea. That's, um, that's definitely a, a really important concept. Shout out to Brene Brown. She, she does a good thing. No free press though. You guys got to sponsor us now. That's just, that's law. <laughs> um, but that's one of the beauties of movies and television and books is you get to see people as protagonists. You get to get inside their mind, see aspects of their life mm -hmm. that you could almost never really see. Yeah. And then also, even if I can see like different aspects of your guys' life or um, my wife or siblings or whatever, you guys, or maybe not you two, but in general, if you have a close relationship with somebody, they're going to impact you negatively. So then you have a bias against that because you're going to have a bias against anything that's impacting you negatively versus a book or a movie. It's not, you're not going to have that same bias. So you can take somebody as Brene Brown and you're talking about and understand that they are doing their best. And I think that's that's such an important concept because in general, you have to think about if someone's doing something that is hurting their life, hurting their relationship, hurting people that they care about, mm -hmm. you have to understand that there has to be something going on inside their head, inside mm -hmm. of their minds, their equilibrium, their homeostasis, their thought patterns, whatever, mm -hmm. that is out of whack, that is in influencing that. Because right. what sane, normal, help, whatever person would make that decision, and we all have these, right? It's, you don't have to be crazy or anything. Mm -hmm. We all have some abnormality within us that makes us act in a really adverse way to our health and our social circles health. Um, I definitely, I'm not the best at remembering that, but I try to, to yeah. keep that into consideration and understand that, like I said earlier, this is saying so much more about them than it is me. And I have to control my controllables mm -hmm. and not have my action potential go off. And then For now sure. I'm ruminating and I have that positive feedback loop where it's like, they suck. They're the worst. This, and I just keep going and get angry. Right. And angry and the results get worse and worse and worse. Um, definitely try to avoid that. But yeah, thanks for bringing that up. That's, that's really awesome. Yeah, to just yeah, give like a little bit more more context for our listeners in the book. And I I will now just recommend it's it's an awesome book. It's an awesome read and listen. Uh, but Brene she, Brown, you do not need to sponsor us. To <laughs> yeah, she's going to ever <laughs> But she posits this this challenge and this idea, like to ask yourself, right? So if you consider an individual and ask yourself, what if they were really just doing their best? So think about that for a moment. I mean, think about the last person you were frustrated with 
and ask yourself, what if they were just really, really earnestly doing their best? And probably you, like me, are feeling like, oh man, crap. I maybe could have approached the situation a little differently. I maybe could have mm -hmm. responded or been more empathetic. I maybe got worked up for no reason. And she goes on to explain that all of these feelings that you're having, thinking about that, um, also would likely make your life easier and more enjoyable and more joy-filled if you gave people that benefit to like allow yourself to believe instead of guessing or supposing that they're really just doing their best your life will also be probably much much more joyful and joy-filled have either of you guys seen the movie the joker yeah with locking phoenix uh i think so yeah 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 uh in it for those of you not familiar uh the joker suffers from it's the backstory of the joker who's this super villain in uh the batman series and he uh he uh he run, has this neurological condition and it demonstrates these uh feedback loops that create him into who he is where uh, because of his neurological condition, people start to treat him poorly and he does not receive respect and he eventually, I mean, completely goes off the rails and uh, becomes the supervillain that he is uh, in the rest of the Batman series. Uh, so it's just another, I mean, it's an incredible film because it also does help create some of that empathy, I think, in in people and myself as well in terms of realizing that i mean yeah people have issues that they're dealing with and uh yeah are and if you are doing as Brene brown advises and and believing that they are doing their best i think that that is a, a worthwhile pursuit for sure yeah one of the cool things about the Joker, uh, just to piggyback on what you're saying, uh, or not, I wouldn't, I don't know if it's cool, but one of the reasons why people really relate to it is because it really speaks to disillusioned and disenfranchised people, and it speaks to the concept of the rich get richer and the um, poor get poorer in this dog eat dog world that isn't really based on meritocracy, but it's based on um, like the top people just suffering cars, right? And no one at the bottom ever gets a hand, ever gets dealt anything. And that's why the Joker, someone who was cast aside by society, someone who's dealing with a number of neurological issues, but one of it is a rare condition in this world where he just bursts into uncontrollable laughter, which if you know the Joker, he laughs a lot. Um, and yet, like you said, it gets him ostracized even more. He's already like has this wild backstory of some sort of abuse, some sort of adoption, some sort of poverty. Plus now he's just a social pariah. And that ends up, he ends up um, harming people of higher class what we might call kind of our own sense of our own type of nobility in america and all the underlings right <laughs> all the peasants rise up behind him as he gets this following um and people he starts being seen as a symbol kind of like v for vendetta as opposed to just one man and then by the end of the movie 
he has this following and he has and he has this sort of um i guess this movement he's the cult leader of this movement i suppose and i think that is i think to what my understanding of the matthew principle it sounds like that is a product of it it's a product of it being unchecked it's a product of unchecked capitalism and I think when it comes back to the city on the hill song, the thing about the city of the hill, that's, I don't know if it's a, it, I think it is like a Christian concept mm-hmm. or like an allusion to heaven or something like that or heaven on earth. Uh, it, it's, it's an ideal world. So when we hear about like this sort of balance and cycle and this and that, and the poet affects this person, the soldier's heart and the soul, blah, blah, blah. And the poor listens to the meek and the meek's voice is heard, has a story to be told. This is an idealization of what humans could be, and I agree that that might be an awesome sort of homeostasis or equilibrium or whatever. But I also think so. My understanding of equilibrium is that equilibrium, how it differs from homeostasis, is that it's passive. It's also a type of balance, but it's like diffusion, right? It happens. Mm-hmm. It's just passive. It doesn't whatever. There's too much salt, so it just permeates through, and now the salt is balanced on both sides, right? And that's why I think is. Um, missing in films like The Joker and parts of our society today is that it isn't there isn't a passive or a natural equilibrium. There is a mind and intelligent <laughs> design. Yeah. Right? We're intelligent yeah. designing our society for this. Um, in my eyes, rich get richer, poor get poorer. Not a true meritocracy. Not a true like we talked about. It doesn't have to be everybody's equal, or whatever. But everybody has the, equi- um, the equity. Everybody gets an opportunity, right? And that's where I don't, I'm interested to hear like more about your thoughts on that song so I can maybe try to understand it more and why um, you thought it was apropos. But to me, I just think it's such an idealization that I'm not really sure how it correlates to our society or homeostasis in our society, except for the sense of it's an ideal that we should try to shoot for. Yeah. uh, No, I appreciate the... I appreciate the question and I'm happy to provide some more context. The song evokes in me mostly sadness because I am a person Mm -hmm. who lives and breathes in human potential. Like I want to build a career in creating like impact and equity for people. I believe that with the right policies and the right people in charge, we could move our society to a much more equitable, equal place. And I don't think that, I don't know if that would ever happen within my lifetime. I don't know if it'll ever happen, period. But I think it's a worthy cause to strive for. And the first time I heard the song a few weeks ago, I just cried through the whole the whole song because it is i think an ideal that maybe we could get closer to and i think we could get closer to appreciating different groups of people um and understanding different groups of people and i think especially after a recent family event where something that came up that I didn't think was political turned out to be political and I ended up getting injured in the conversation, like physically hurt uh, and scared. This song, these song lyrics, yeah, they just kind of just crushed me 
for a moment, like just took my breath away because I think there is a place where we could appreciate each other. Democrats could appreciate Republicans, right? Sounds crazy, but it could happen, right? Like where there would be a, a loop, a feedback loop where one would correct the other and we would continue moving forward. But right now I feel like as a country, as a society in our state, in our city, in my family, we are so whiplashed from one way to the other, like that it's just tearing people apart and killing more than like creating steadiness or homeostasis or a healthy balance. So I think that's what drew me to bring the the lyrics into the cast. I didn't anticipate it. It just they just mm -hmm. popped into my head because it has been periodically just kind of coming back to me like but what if the rich man listened to the poor man? You know, what if the soldiers gave a crap about the poets? You know, mm -hmm. like we would be in a really different place. I would be in a really different place. My family would be in a really different place. Mm -hmm. I think that so in alignment with Lauren as far as the belief in human potential. Uh, I, my understanding is that or my, my, yeah, my understanding is, I mean, the conversation around, uh, like having empathy for people doing their best like if that were communicated and educated uh, to more people, which I think it, the, the message, I see it more, more places. Uh, and I mean, it might just be uh, part of the human condition, but like, I think that like conveying that to, and like co just conveying that to more people and getting convincing more people that everyone is doing their best and like educating people on how to to listen uh would go a long way in terms of getting the rich man to listen to the poor man and and all these things uh like i think i mean because there are there are enormous examples of rich men listening to the poor, poor man. I think of uh, the a blank on the name of the company or the CEO, but uh, there's a company where uh, the CEO realized how little some of his staff members were making and realized, uh, like looking at some of the data that 70 grand a year uh, in the West is sufficient to, uh, to live without financial worry and to, uh, yeah, just live a good life. And so he decided to reduce his pay, uh, down and, uh, increase the pay of every single employee and make like the minimum wage of the company to be 70 grand a year, which 
obviously that's an extraordinary example, but I think that if more people had similar values to this guy or um, whoever else, I think that that could, uh, at least in regards to sharing opportunity, like I think that that would go a, lo a long way uh, to getting closer to the, the idealized version. Yeah. I agree. I, I've heard of that guy before. Um, it's an awesome story. I thought he was the, also the founder of um, Eat Just or ju um, Just Eat, the Just Eat company or whatever it is that makes like, it's the same company that made the first uh, lab-grown meat and that's mm -hmm. selling out in Singapore. Mm -hmm. And that his name is Josh Tetrick, but then I tried to look it up real quick. So And that made me think that, no, it's not him. I thought it was him for some reason, but... Mm -hmm. Can't recall his name. It looks like Aiden's looking up. But yeah, I mean, it's an amazing concept. And the frustrating thing about that is how many billionaires and hyper-millionaires, founders, et cetera, big business, like frowned upon him, got how much negative press the media got, and how there's all these, um, <laughs> there's all, all these ridiculous headlines from the media talking about how it's like gonna make people poorer and like i've seen these headlines before um where it's like if everybody has money then nobody has money like you just yeah. hear these ridiculous things because people are trying so hard to protect their identity to protect their livelihoods to protect their businesses um and continue to make hundreds of millions if not billions of dollars instead of you know when the janitor or whoever it is the whatever worker it is is only making 30k yeah. or 25k or whatever depending on the business um and it sucks that again it's not like there's this natural process but there's these i mean it's a natural process within us that's making us want to do that but it's like humans were actively oppressing that right it's just like i get yeah. it you don't want to do it but it's like there was a lot of slander that came at this founder and there weren't a lot of copycats <laughs> which yeah. we which right. we definitely had hoped for yeah yeah i mean i think yeah, it's just it, the the slander is is bonkers. Uh, but yeah, six years ago, Dan Price, the founder and CEO of credit card processing company Gravity Payments, uh, announced they were raising the firm's minimum salary to seventy thousand dollars a year for his hundred and twenty employees. To accommodate this change, Price slashed his own one million dollar salary. Uh, I mean, yeah, it's just extraordinary it's yeah. like these these are these are human choices and they they can be right uh changed so i mean it's just human-centric economy right yeah that's amazing too because one million dollars is not even that much money like it's a, it's a lot of money but it's not like mm -hmm. absurd you can right. you can you, know, you can't get whatever you want in the world with one million dollars yeah. so it's like it's interesting that he wasn't making like 20 million a year or 50 million a year or right. a billion you know he's just like one million okay like i'm good i can right. help out other people who and i know there's all those studies about like not only being above the poverty line taking care of the family but there's also those studies on happiness mm -hmm. and what's your once your basic needs are met how money and income and 7k some studies have shown that that's a good amount of money for a household for you to be like okay my needs are met i'm okay oh yeah. take a vacation per year or whatever it might be yeah uh, you no know, i'm not gonna be on the streets or anything yeah uh yeah that's yeah i mean that 70k is is about that number and i think to so his his uh company 
collected some data and did some research of their own and uh, like people who paid off their debt uh, increased at their company. People who bought their first home increased at their company. People Mm -hmm. who had children increased Mm -hmm. at their company. So it's just like, yeah, when people have their, their needs met and feel secure, they can start to plan for the future. And so I think that that is just something to definitely admire. And uh, yeah, I think it's probably some, cognitive dissonance that created some of that backlash where uh where people were so like oh i could never do that but uh and deep down no they could they can but Mm -hmm. uh yeah it's it's uh it's a fascinating example for sure and i didn't expect bringing it up on the cast but yeah i think people get i mean research shows even that people get defensive when their livelihood feels threatened and in a society that values money over nearly everything Mm -hmm. right it's easy to tie your value to dollars and therefore when your dollars are challenged your values feel challenged and then you get really defensive and so yeah it's a deep deep deep-seated problem but i do think that there could be and should be better balance. And I, I hope that, I mean, I hope that there, that we can get there through some of this negative feedback, right? Like you'll hear people talk about it when they talk about housing prices. They'll say like, oh, something, something has to break, right? Like housing keeps going up and up and up and up. Student debt keeps going up and up and up and up. This is something that is, uh, talked about a lot in my circles as you can guess since I'm a recent college grad from a university in the United States where it's not paid for but people will say like oh something's gonna have to give something's gonna have to give and that comment eludes to a negative feedback loop something reaching a point where it's too high and it has to crash out and we've seen that happen in societies as well uh, throughout history I wasn't so versed in the conversation to handle this piece of the conversation at a societal level, but just to get back to this idea of balance in a society and whether that means everybody makes 70K a year or uh, housing prices have to have to go down or maintain for people who are in the college population or, I mean, whatever the actual proposed change is to maintain better balance, who knows? But I, and many others believe that better balance can be achieved and and achieved peacefully though some people think like revolution is necessary to achieve balance yeah i personally (laughs) hope that the revolution doesn't (laughs) is not necessary Uh, but yeah i think that uh i mean yeah it's just all uh everything we brought up uh we're we're getting a little bit close on time I think but uh yeah as far as everything that we brought up from the society down to the to the neuron uh just think about those those feedback loops you have the receptor that hears some sort of signal and then tells the effector to do something and then you end up with these positive feedback loops that can intensify in effect or you end up with these negative ones that can tamp down the effect and yeah, whether it's at the societal level, at your individual level, or at the cellular level, uh, I mean, homeostasis is a, is a thing, and 
uh, something to learn from. Yeah, for sure. So I want to end with a little technique that can help maintain homeostasis in your body. We have talked about this technique in another another cast that I would strongly recommend (laughs) called breath or breathing. And it is to just like take a deep breath. We're going to expel all of our air together. I invite you to do it with me. Uh, You might get a little lightheaded. So if you're driving your vehicle, maybe avoid this. But if you're at home or you're on YouTube, um, I'm going to invite you to sit sit back, put your feet flat on the floor, um, and your hands in like a comfortable, natural position. Uh, you can close your eyes, you can keep them open if you want, whatever feels most comfortable, or just like uh, lower your gaze to maybe the floor somewhere in front of your feet. And we're going to breathe all of our air out of our lungs as much as we can. And then we're gonna pause for a moment. And then we're gonna do breathe in as much air as we can and we're going to pause for a moment and then we're going to exhale air just to being normal okay so put your hands down feel relaxed and with me we're going to breathe out two three push it all out till you like you can't breathe pause breathe in two three or so you feel like your belly and your chest is bursting with air. And then pause, hold it, and release back to your natural state of breathing. And you can open your eyes and get back to a, a place where you feel present. But uh, breathing techniques are one, one fantastic way to help your body get back to some semblance of homeostasis. I wish it was that easy for society, but maybe if we put it up to you common scientists we can we can figure out how uh, we personally our families and our societies can maintain better homeostasis hey common scientists hope you enjoyed the cast thanks for investing in common science we hope it brought as much value to you as it did to us to learn more smash the subscribe button and visit our website commonscientists.com where you can read our blog join our email newsletter and follow us on social media Finally, if you like what we have to say, you can absolutely support us on Patreon. We can always use more support. You can navigate there also from our website, commonscientists.com, common scientists with an S, so that we can continue cultivating a community of common scientists.